we have the power. We're Western women. We, we have a say. We get interviewed by people like you. I get onto radio and I want to use that vehicle to really tell women that you're allowed to assess your situation right today and say, is that all right with me still? What I do on a daily basis, how I work with my husband or my, my wife or how I run in this world, is that okay with me now or is life running me? And I, that brings me to tears. I feel that is so important for women to ask themselves that question. Coaching Life podcast. Today's guest is somebody I met on my iPad. <laughs> well, okay, that's not strictly true. I first became aware of today's guest when one of my best friends sat next to me on my sofa, tapping a picture of her on my iPad, proclaiming, she's the one, she's the one for me. Albeit, she was technically at the time still married to another man. That was in 2010, and such is the power of intention. She is now married to that best friend of mine, with whom she has a beautiful daughter. They have a beautiful daughter. She's almost five. And uh, I think she's living a life she never imagined that she would be living those few years ago. Um, now based in Mallorca. I'm hoping she's going to tell us much more about that in our conversation today. She's all about empowering women and is the creator, founder, and director of Her Invitation, the female empowerment company, as well as an entrepreneur, an activist, a speaker. I've listened to her a few times actually on BBC Radio. She's a published author and has been coaching for around 20 years thereabouts. And as I said, is a wife and a mother and of course she's also a very dear friend so absolutely delighted to have her on this podcast today so a big hello and welcome to you Lynette Allen hello hello Phil hello. <laughs> how are you I'm very oh, excited marvelous, about this marvelous yeah it's wonderful to to see you and talk to you um, so tell us a little bit what was going on at that time when you know Mark sat next to me tapping <laughs> Tapping a picture of you on on my sofa. I don't think you were aware that that was going well, on. Well, no. Um, yeah, so that I had no idea he was doing that at the time. I mean, we talked briefly about intention there, and Mark's power of intent is very strong. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was going on for me? Um, I, I realized in September 10 that my marriage at the time was um, very unstable, and that came as a great, great shock to me I didn't know that um, <clears throat> and I don't he didn't know that either so um, yeah it was a very difficult time I had about certainly from that September 10 to the end of the year I think I was in shock that my marriage wasn't um, all I had thought it would be um, actually nothing had happened you know nothing I hadn't done anything he hadn't done anything it was just I don't know what happened I woke up one day in the wrong marriage that's what I've I, how I've articulated it to myself and other people 
and I, I, I told a very, very few people at that time. And um, I went through a series of, of, you know, about seven months of real internal struggle and breakdown and um, panic attacks and stress and anxiety. And because of my whole world, I thought I was set up, you know, I think when you're married, I think everything's, you know, you're in that marriage, it's where you're meant to be. And I had thought that for a long time and then it was breaking down. So Mark was one of the, well, the first and only people during that time that I broached that to and I hadn't seen him for many years it was on Facebook Messenger and um, little did I know that he had uh, <laughs> other ideas about where I should be and who I should be married to I had no idea <laughs> <laughs> I think I was being called in maybe yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's a beautiful story um, and yeah I, I was very privileged and honoured to be part of the day of your your blessing when the two of you made your promises together it's yeah. like one of the most beautiful things I've ever witnessed that was a year on from that that was <laughs> a year on so um, there was a, a series of stages I think that was a year on wasn't it from that yeah I think yes it was yeah it was just a series of stages in that that year that meant I faced the end of one marriage um, and had the courage to look forward and think well if I don't want this what do I want instead and as a coach I think that's how I I work I was trained to think in that way but that wasn't really much training because I I did think in that way very naturally anyway if you don't want this what do you want instead and look towards that and that's how I you know, I approached the end of my marriage and the beginning of my relationship with Mark. And, um, yeah, the rest is history. That whole year was just mad and amazing. And it was full of, it was, you know, a, both a breakdown and a rebirth, actually. And um, the start of an amazing new life. Yeah, beautiful. So I, I'm going to dive straight in here and ask you then, when you look back on that, yeah. Um, what have you learned really about yourself and also um, what have you learned about your work? Okay, it's quite interesting. What have I learned about myself? Well, I've learned that breakdowns aren't what you think they are. Um, so when one has a breakdown, one tends to describe it as a disaster, something awful that happens and you're stopped in your tracks and it's, I mean I imagined that you know one would have quite a lot of difficulty getting up again and moving forward with life again and coping with life again and that from my experience that just wasn't true I think a breakdown is a sign that life is going to take a big turn and for, in order for life to do that, everything has to change. Your surroundings, your home, where you live, your friends, your, your view, your perspective, where you choose to put yourself, you know, and that, that means all sorts of things from internal conflict and breakdown and panic attacks, fear, and it's like the rug being pulled from under you and you've got the platform you thought you were standing on which was very safe is no longer safe and that can feel very destructive but i've since realized that that's not destructive 
it's just completely shifting. It's just an earthquake. But what happens after an earthquake is that the ground settles settles down again, and you rebuild, but you rebuild you rebuild perhaps better or smarter or cleverer, or you you're given an opportunity. So I've learned that breakdowns are not destructive, even though they feel destructive. Uh, and they are destructive to that life, but they are not destructive to your life as a whole. Mm. So I've learned that um, about myself. And I think there have been a series of smaller earthquakes since then, much smaller earthquakes. Um, and everything changes. And it can be quite scary, but it's if you allow it to to understand that it's a shift then when you rebalance yourself you are much more stable than you were before and i like that because i think you're going to have breakdowns as you continue through life i think and if you view them in that way then they are helpful and you see them as growing so that's i've learned that about myself what have i learned about myself professionally But I am absolutely authentic because I've lived it and I have done it. And I, you know, none of it was made up. I mean, I, I went through an awful lot, which has been documented. I've spoken about it in YouTube videos and all sorts of places and in speeches. And I think when you're able to tell the truth, I was telling you just before we started recording, I don't think at the time you were able to tell the truth. You're, you're not able to articulate it really when you're in in it. But actually afterwards, you were able to see it for what it was and then learn from it and other people could learn from it too. And I think I realised that I lost my power during that time. And what I didn't have at that time was her invitation. Her invitation was born from the company that Mark and I founded when we got together. And we spent a good year messing around with it, wondering what on earth it should be and how we should create it and Mark's role in it and my role in it. Um, and then when I was able to articulate what had happened, I think, when my marriage broke down, I was able to articulate also how women give their power away and I felt like I did that. Um, and was left, certainly, in a situation where I had £300 in my business bank account and wanted to leave their marriage and had no idea how I was going to do that financially. Um, because I'd spent an awful lot of time doing other things, worrying, trying to support a marriage, um, my husband, um, but I had not concentrated on my business and I had therefore no freedom. And actually that happens to women all the time. Yeah. They, they put other people first and they don't look after number one. And then when you really need to look after number one, you have no resources to do that. So um, part of what I teach women now is how to empower themselves and how to not give their power away. So it was a massive, massive shift, wasn't it, really? It wasn't just a personal change of marriage. It was um, a whole seismic development. <laughs> In me, and, and those workshops that I developed a year after I left that first marriage, they are being delivered, you know, even this week by people, my, my team members, and they have massive impacts on the women they have. So it goes on. 
Yeah, I, I'm I'm really intrigued. Then um, you know, because people can can pick up on your and and look into your perhaps what you what you actually do professionally, what the company her invitation is all about, and and your team, what everybody's up to. But I'm wondering, what does that all mean to you? This company, her invitation. I I remember you posting a video. I think with Mark one day in London, uh, right at the outset. There was so much excitement then. So when you when you like sit back, if you take a moment and just look what's going on with her invitation, what does that all mean to you? What does it mean? Um, well, I have a line that I use quite a lot. It's it's more than a business. It's not just a business. It's a calling. It's kind of a big statement, um, but it it really is something I feel that I have to do. And I mean, what else would I do, honestly? What else would I do than empower other women to know that they they can do what they want in this world? And you know, I'm a very empathetic person, so I I can't always watch stuff, you know, about how women are treated in the world. I find it very difficult to watch that kind of stuff and to see those films. And I had a brief look into a film series the other day. It's called Woman. And it's so destructive how women are still treated in the world. It really, really, really upsets me. And I can't, I can't watch it, really. I kind of know it happens, but I'm severely shocked all the time when I find something new. And I'm not part of a world that has been destructive to me. I'm not part of that world. I've had a really stable, good upbringing. And I've been I'm really fortunate in where I am and my business and my, the life I lived. Um, but there is something about I have to I have to change that from where I sit in this world. And the only place I think I can change it is from my perspective of you have more power and more influence over your own life than you realise. Because empowering women isn't just about empowering those who are being beaten up on a daily basis or those who are being raped or those who are supported or those who are in arranged marriages or children who get married at 10 and 12. You know, I, I can't have any impact I don't think on a personal level on, on women in those situations I, I don't know those places I haven't been in that situation but there are thousands millions of women who don't go through those massive things who still have all the power in their hands actually and free speech and free will and they can get up and move marriages and jobs and say yes and say no and say hang on a minute i'm not sure i'm happy with that anymore i think i want to change that they have that power and yet they still don't take it so i think that's where my personal role in this world is because we have the power we're western women we, we have a say we get interviewed by people like you i get onto radio and i want to use that vehicle to really tell women that you're allowed to assess your situation right today and say is that all right with me still what i do on a daily basis how i work with my husband or my my wife or how i run in this world is that okay with me now or is life running me and i that brings me to tears i feel that is so important for women to ask themselves yeah. that question 
So for me, I'm, that really is why I'm doing this. And, you know, I, I want it to be a successful business. It is a successful business. I want it to be a successful business for my facilitators. Because actually that empowers them too, as businesswomen and entrepreneurs, that empowers them to know that they can make their own money. But what a better way to do that? You know, if one has to make money in the world, what better way to do that than spreading something that's so powerful to other women? Because we can all do this job. We can all do that. So that's what it means to me. That's a very long answer. But I don't sell photocopiers, Phil. You know? Right. I don't... I don't... <laughs> you know, what I do has a depth to it and has an impact on people. So what, what, when did you first um, notice your own, I mean, you're talking about this very passionately now. When did you first notice that passion and that fire inside you? Um, you know, I guess that's an alternative way of asking the question, how did you get into this profession, this line of work? But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious really about what, what, when did you first notice that? I think it started when I was much younger, about 20 years ago. Um, I remember being stood in a bar in Greece. I was a dancer back then in this Greek bar and this English girl was serving behind the bar as one of the dancers in the club. She was moaning about her job and her this and that and life and the boyfriend and I was just a bit confused. I was like, how long, how long ago was that? I mean, I might have been 21, so that's 24 years ago, 23 years ago. Um, and I remember just leaning on the bar think, saying to her, well, why don't you change it then? I just don't really understand. If you don't like it, what do you want to do instead? And for me, it was just like so simple. Why are, why are you putting up with that? If you don't want to do that, then change it. Or do something else. Don't moan about it. You know, I think we're all allowed a good moan. I have a good moan from time to time. I think a moan is quite healthy. But if you're consistently moaning about the same thing, the same job, the same person, or the same situation, God, it's boring. And certainly I bore myself with my moans when I get to a certain point. I just think, oh, please, Lynette, cut the record. You do something about it. Can you change it? Right, change it. Would you want that? Would you want to look like? So that was, I was doing that anyway. And I had already done that. I had a house with a boyfriend when I was 18 and a job working as a secretary for the national health the <laughs> nhs i mean that was a different lifestyle ago i can tell you and i just thought this is not really for me is it so i both quit the boyfriend and the job in a very short space of time and ended up working in greece as a professional dancer and singer and that was dating greek boys you know that's <laughs> it was so i'd already done that once by the time I was 21, and I have continued to do that. And then I realized that this was a profession and you could help other people to do that. So that's how it started. How did you start helping other people professionally? Um, gosh, how did I start? Well, I think I became a reflexologist, actually, when I was 26, I think. And it was my first foray into being self-employed. I come from a long line of entrepreneurs in my family, and there was I being employed. And 
I didn't really want to do that anymore. So I became a reflexologist. And then as a reflexologist, it's much like a hairdresser. People tell you things about their lives in confidence. And I didn't really know I was doing and ahhing in the right place. You know, they tell you a lot of stuff, affairs and all sorts of things and self-harm. And I was really green about all that kind of stuff. So I saw this course actually for a life coach and it just really... um, struck a chord with me and on the Oprah Winfrey show there was a guy called Dr. Phil I don't know if you model yourself on him or not anyway he was called Dr. Phil and um, I was fascinated by how he would talk to people and um, so I looked into this life coach course and in a perfect instant I went on a one day um, sort of investigation day about it and ended up doing a diploma in it making it my career I've since people how to be professional coaches I've probably taught 140 odd people how to be coaches put them through a diploma um, and examining body all of that kind of stuff and coach thousands of people I would say I don't know I would say it's coming up to thousands I don't know in 20 years how many people can coach I haven't, I haven't numbered them all and that'd be fab if I had so yeah that's how it came about what what um i mean i want to i want to delve a little bit into this wonderful life that you're living living in Mallorca at the moment and um your role with mark as as a as a parent i'm also interested really in how you see how you have changed as a coach over the last 20 years i mean there's a a lot of people in this profession who have only been in it a year or two years, wow. you know, um, it's still a very young profession. Mm-hmm. Um, so here, here we are today. I'm talking to somebody who's been in this in this game for 20 years. That's a that's a long time. It is a long time. Yeah, if this was an employed job, I don't think you get employed jobs for 20 years now. <laughs> no, it's a long time. When I started. Um, it's a completely different way of speaking to people actually becoming a coach because you don't tell people what to do and you have to really be actively interested in their perspective of things so it took quite a while I mean a good 18 months to two years probably before I really understood you know how it's best to listen to somebody because I think when you your ego is in it when you first start. You know, I want to be a really good coach, so I've got to have all this really good advice and these great exercises to bring out the bag and, you know, the grown model and, <laughs> you know, all these exercises, which I've learned now that new coaches really want because they, they want to hang on to something. They want, and, you know, some of the exercises are very powerful, but, you know, a new coach will want a script. Um, the amount of lists of questions I've taken away from my student coaches as they try and coach somebody through a page of questions I'm like what are you doing just listen to her listen to what she's saying sit with her be with her they want to feel prepared and the one thing you can't ever do is be prepared for a coaching session with somebody you just have to be there with them in that space and ask questions that enable them to talk about themselves so I wanted all of that to start with and then I would write these notes for them and I would write notes up about the session and 
actually all of that is rubbish as well <laughs> because <clears throat> I'm sure my notes were very handy on occasion but you know my reflection on somebody else's coaching session I now realize is, is pretty not wanted invalid it's their reflection that is the I mean you know I've learned a lot in 20 years so when somebody comes to me for coaching now I don't find out anything about them. I don't want to know their goals. I don't want to know their five-year plan. I don't want to know anything about them. I want to talk to the person sat opposite me and look them in the eye and just say, hi, how are you today? Tell me what's going on. And I think if you're really interested, and you, you can see patterns in people's behavior, and I think that's our job to pick up that pattern or to pick up a you know, uh, when they say something different to what they they seem to be doing. Um, I've, picked, you know, I've picked up that before, and if somebody says, you know, that they're going to do something, and I mean, I'm, I can see it when they're not, and I call it, and I think that's really important too, to say, I don't buy that, I don't think you're going to do that for a second. That's bullshit. And they just laugh and they say, yeah, you're right. I'm not going to do that, am I? No, you're not going to do that. I know you well enough to know that you're not going to do that now. So tell me what you're really going to do. So I think it's about being a mirror for people and a reflector and letting them talk. But how do you train people in that? You have to train them right from the very beginning, right from the basics, to give them some kind of tools and something to to work through I think that's part of the process but a really articulate coach probably throws much of that out the window as they get older I would say yeah beautiful I really relate to that because I, I often tell other coaches that your loving curiosity is is pretty much all you need and somebody asked me once how do you know what question to ask I'm like well the one I want the answer to it's kind of that simple if I'm genuinely and you can't fake that if I'm genuinely curious about the person sitting in front of me, all the questions I need to ask are going to simply occur to me. Yes, absolutely. And you have to trust that. Yeah. You have yeah. to trust that. It's, it's not been very often that I don't have a question to ask somebody. You know, if I was going out for coffee with you, for instance, I wouldn't script the whole thing before I turned up. <laughs> right. That would be nuts, wouldn't it? <laughs> I wouldn't have a list of questions to ask you. Right. No, right. I'd be interested in you and I'd just take it with the flow. But I think there's a shape to a coaching session. So I tend to ask, you know, closing questions like, what have you learned? What surprised you? You know, kind of wrap up questions that that I think are very helpful even today. So I probably use that, those same kind of wrap up questions that I have learned from a while ago. So tell us about life at the moment, Lynette. Um, I mean, I know, but I would, I would love um, our listeners to know a little bit about this life you've created. I, and, you know, um, Mark's very, very oh. dear friend of mine. I met him on the 13th of September 1984 when he came and sat next to me when we did our apprenticeship on the very first day of our apprenticeship with BT together. And, and you know, I love him to bits. So I've been very... It's been marvellous watching the two of you build this life together. Tell us a little bit about that. Gosh, it's been a bit of a crazy seven months. Um, well, <laughs> where do you start? I don't even know where to start. We got on a plane and we came to New Yorker, but it wasn't really as simple as that. Um, 
I think we were in a Mark's house. As you know, we lived in Mark's house uh, for a long time, the first few years of our marriage, four years or so of our marriage. And that was a very difficult house to sell. It came with an awful lot of um, issues to do with bylaws and councils, and it was just a, a bit of a rubbish situation on many levels. And we didn't think we were going to be able to sell that house. It was tricky, and it was... Um, we had to put so much money into it every single month um, <clears throat> and we did a fantastic job at doing that and then all of a sudden out of the blue we had a buyer and all of a sudden out of the blue they could get a mortgage and they actually did get a mortgage and we were in shock I was in shock once again um, that the house had sold and what are we going to do where are we going to live because we hadn't really thought that was going to happen. I always had a plan, which you probably know, is to live in one of our little houses in Angel Street. You know, a lovely little cottage and get it all decorated and do it up a little bit. And, um, you know, that was that was kind of my plan. And I think that was our plan for a long time. But when it came to it, Mark was very clear, I, I do not want to live in that house. <laughs> And that shocked the life out of me. I was like, what? That's what we've been planning, isn't it? Is it we're not going to live there? I really don't want to live there. I can't live there. I want to do something completely different. My auntie had visited me just a few weeks before we sold the house in England, which was unusual because she lives here in New York, so she doesn't visit every week. You know, It's like every three or four years. And she came, and on her way out, she said, you know, I've got a flat in my house. You can just come and stay anytime you want. It's got a bedroom, bathroom, and your own lounge and stuff. You could just be in there for a bit. And I thought that was a strange thing to say as she left it at the door. And I said, oh, okay, thank you. never really thought anything of it. And then when we had this situation of where are we going to live, like in four weeks' time, we had, you know what it was like, like a massive six, seven-bedroom house, and we've got to leave it in four weeks. Where are we going to go? So I said, we could always go to Audrey's in Mallorca. And Mark booked tickets. <laughs> and I went, yes, we can. That's where we're heading. So that was the first place. And when I got here, or when we got here, he just looked around and said, right, I'm not leaving. This is lovely. I want to stay here. And again, I, it took me a, a while to get my head around that because I was still, my head was still in England thinking, well, keep that cottage, Mark. <laughs> we could just live in that cottage. It's lovely. And Mallorca is very different and you drive on the wrong side of the road and there's a different language and blah, 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 blah. Uh, but as you know, Locke's vision and imagination and creation is very strong. And things just happened and they moved very quickly and we found ourselves hiring a house out here in a, a Finker in the most beautiful, beautiful spot in the middle of the hills in Mallorca. And it took me a, a good few months to believe that we were living here, mm. really. Mark settled in very quickly. It took me a long time. Um, not really till I got my furniture back from out of storage in England, because I still had all this furniture stored and a little place in Ipswich. Was that the uh, <laughs> journey with the van, was it? Oh, God, yeah, the journey <laughs> with the van. Oh, man, that flipping van. Yeah, so we decided that 
if Lynette is to get settled here, we are going to live in um, Mallorca for a bit. I don't know how long. One needs one stuff around them, right? So uh, we had a van and we drove it back from England to Mallorca, but it, it had not been looked after properly. It had terrible problems. <laughs> we realised when we were halfway through France that it was in limp mode, which is not a good sign on a van because you're going at like 15 miles an hour with a van full of stuff and anyway it broke down on a motorway at five o'clock as the sun set in and we'd just been through a snowstorm with a four-year-old who's fast asleep and we're by the side of the road with a broken down van in France due to get a ferry that night to Spain and Mark saying it's fan belt the fan belt's gone give the, give us an hour we'll be back on the road we were, we were stuck in France for 10 days <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So yeah, we missed that ferry Yeah, and we had to get another one in about 10 days time. So it took us a long time to get back, but I came back with my stuff and and again, we had a big shift here because where we were living uh, then was, it turned out to be not the right place for us. And so we put all our stuff in the van again <laughs> and drove to another finger. And we haven't been here very long. We've been here about six or seven weeks and we've done huge amounts already here at this finger and it's just the most blissful beautiful peaceful place it's very lovely yeah very. So how has how have you managed to fit your work around all of this going on um as well as you know being a parent to to a four-year-old which um you know is 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 not a breeze um yeah how, how no, have you so I don't know because you know I pressed the button when I, I left England and came to live with my auntie I three weeks. I pressed the bu button on Eventbrite to launch my very first conference, her invitations conference last year. So I pressed the button, shut my laptop. This is how it went. Went back to uh, Mark's mum's house where we were pit stopping put our stuff in a suitcase, went to Mallorca, opened it up, ready for the internet, and my, my auntie lives in the only dead spot on the island. There's no internet at her house. And I looked at her, the colour drained out of my face, and I said, what, no internet? How am I going to work? How am I going to do this? Yeah, I've got tickets to sell. I've got a function to put on. And she just laughed and said, well, there's no internet out here. We're off-grid. What do you mean you're off-grid? You didn't mention that when you said you had a flat in your house. No, about that. So it was just a nightmare, but in that six months, that last six months, I earned more that year than I have ever done in six months. It was, I don't know how I've done it. I don't know. I think when you, you, ha you have internet and then you don't have internet, you have to realize you have to make full use of your time and just crack on and be very engaging and um, do stuff that works and be very proactive. Maybe that was something to do with it. I don't know. I genuinely don't know. I made a film in that time. I, I hosted a conference for the first time ever. I, I, saw, I, I made my own first video masterclass. I've never done that before. I launched that. I did a lot of things. I've hosted retreats out here. Um, just wonderful, wonderful stuff. And I've never done any of it before. So my comfort zone has been blown to bits this last six months mm. and I made more money than I than I ever have in a six month period so I don't know how I did it well let's see I'm, I, I guess I'm I'm privileged because knowing you and Mark as I do I, I also know that you guys do just get on with it yeah 
Yeah, well, I think we're a very, very good team, as you know, certainly from our days in Salon House when um, we were, you know, we had such a massive mortgage to me each month. And, you know, there would be times where I would crumble and think, oh, my gosh, we just can't do this. We just don't have the money coming. This is this is going to just fall apart. And then before I know it, Mark's got lodgers, potential lodgers knocking at the door and welcoming them into our home. And I'm looking up from the corner and the crying in the corner going well, somebody's going to move in but they're going to pay us some money that's fantastic and we had 30 lodges in four years <laughs> come through our doors and even that was an amazing experience because they weren't just people looking for a home they were um for a short time in their life adults needing a place of sanctuary and we provided that and we did not just provide rooms as i think you know we have provided a safe haven and sanctuaries for lots of people and they have healed in our presence and we've seen them grow and change and shift and move on and I think we're doing that here in the Orca as well, we're attracting people who want to do something different and need to heal and need to change and we're attracting them also over here. <laughs> yeah, beautiful, I, I know, I'm, I'm you know, fortunate enough to have also been on the receiving end actually of that beautiful loving hospitality and um yeah your open arms so thank you it was just uh it was a few weeks uh quite some time ago now where i was in need as you say of some sanctuary and uh mm -hmm. you guys provided that i'm always grateful for that so i don't know how we do it but somehow i think we we uh, attract something together and um, even when we move countries and make massive life decisions to do s something completely different, like, you know, we don't send Libby to school, we homeschool her. You know, this past week, uh, month, we've had a shaman live in our house and open up opportunities for us to see a completely different way of spiritual healing and um, meditation. And it's just, an, it's just amazing. I mean, it's like, a massive, massive vortex is opening up to a whole new development. Um, and having been in the in the um, the, uh, the work of, of personal development for a very, very long time, now opening up to different ways of doing things and finding inner peace and yourself, and it's just wonderful, wonderful opportunities with very kind, calm people who enter our lives and also Livy's life. I mean, the life she's living now is just amazing. And I hope to enhance it more for her as time goes on. How, how do you uh, mix parenthood with, with your profession? Um, well, she's around me all the time. There are times when I really need to concentrate. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and I, I shut the door. I mean, I, I lounge on the dining room table, actually. I have an office upstairs, but I kind of, like, prefer working down here, really. But I'm very accessible to a little girl. So she will feature in my videos. She features in my training videos sometimes. She'll come and sit on my knees. I'm doing something for my team or something for YouTube. Um, she sees me all the time on my laptop when I structure my time and working. Um Mark is co-parents with me, so he looks after her when I'm working, and then he, when he wants to focus on something and what he's doing, I look after her. So we co-parent on different days. Um, 
so she always has mummy or daddy with her all the time. But she's around me all the time as well. So when I'm working, although on, on those times when I say, honey, I really need to concentrate, go and ask daddy. Or I'll say, Mark, find the swing slides. Could, could I just have an hour? So, you know, sometimes that happens, but often she's here all the time. What I, what I see, um, you can tell me if this feels true for you, that, okay, well, so, some people might see parenting as being incompatible with a profession, with work, whereas what I see is you guys really embracing it all. I think that's partly to do with what I do. So if I was like a solicitor or a lawyer or something, it really wouldn't be appropriate to have a small child on your knee while you're interviewing somebody, as I have done in Skype, and I've had Libby come up and curl on my knee, and, um, you know, that wouldn't be appropriate. But because I'm in the business of empowering women and their daughters, I have somebody in this house that I have to empower also. And so my work continues all the time when I'm parenting. So, you know, she's four and she's a typical normal four-year-old. And, you know, if a four-year-old doesn't think they're going to get their way, they're likely to go into, And even if the answer is no to, can I have more sugar? (laughs) Then, um, you know, she, I might, I might decide that, you know, Livia, you're not going to have any more sugar now. You know, that's it. You've already had three biscuits and whatever. But I say to her, you know, you could just say, "My thank you. I really appreciate those biscuits, but I, I actually feel I'm ready for another three more." You could ask me in your power. You don't have to be small and make yourself small and insignificant. You could just say, you know, when I want to brush her hair, for instance, she's got beautiful, beautiful hair, which tangles really easily, and I don't force her ever to have it brushed. I might talk about the knot and the fact that I might have to cut it now one day if it doesn't get any, if it doesn't get brushed, but I never force her into doing it. I never pin her down and brush her hair because I don't think you should. I think that takes their power away. But, you know, if I, uh, if I say, Libby, you know, your hair's really getting to that time again when I probably should have a look at it. You know, she'll hide the hairbrush or she'll run off. And I say, you don't have to do that. That's not a powerful way to tell mummy you don't want your hair done. What is a really nice way is, mummy, I really appreciate what you're trying to do, but I really don't want my hair done. Mm-hmm. And sometimes she says that, or a version of that, and I go, fine. It's absolutely fine. All right, then, no problem. And I put the hairbrush down and I'm like, it's no problem. That's fine. And it genuinely is. So I'm trying to teach her to, to say no to me, but in a way that stands in her power, not a typical four-year-old's way of, you know, running off in tears. Beautiful. Yeah. So that's my work, of course. Mm. Yeah. So, Lynette, what's not working right now that you'd like oh, to Oh, that's a, gosh, that's a good question, isn't it? What's not working? I think I've just got over the thing that wasn't working, actually. We were living somewhere else with um, another couple, and that was not working for either of us. And we made a decision to leave. I think that's as simple as that. And, you know, you don't make decisions to leave or change your circumstances on a whim. I think, like I said 
right at the beginning, you know, if you're consistently for a few months thinking, oh my gosh, this is hard work, I don't want to be here anymore, I'm getting really funny feelings in my tummy or this giving me a headache or a neckache, consistently then it's time for change. So I think I've just done that. So I don't think I have anything that's not working right now. I sit down every morning with a, pe- a blank sheet and a pen and my coffee and I write one word down in the middle about how I feel. And then, it, and then another word that goes on from that. It's like a word association game. Another word that goes on from that. And I find stuff out about myself. And you know, if I'm feeling guilt, for instance, like what the hell is that about? Why am I feeling guilty? I'll explore that. I'm calm or peaceful or anxious. You know, I'll explore all of that. This morning, I couldn't think of a single word to write. I was just really content. <laughs> nothing there, so I've still got the blank page. So I don't think there's anything that's working that it's not working right now. But had you asked me that? eight weeks ago yeah i'd have probably had a lot to say mm. <laughs> i think i've just dealt with it <laughs> so how um how are new clients finding you or are you you finding them oh that's another interesting question because i think you attract people um the right kind of people i've always tried to do that really I don't like the idea of selling I think people get very confused with what selling is you know it's the old-fashioned idea of here's something I'm going to persuade you now that it's for you that's crap I don't like that and I know when I'm being sold to and I hate that as well so I think what I tend to do is try to just put out in the world who I am what I do what's available and the people if they're in a situation where they're an entrepreneur and they're they want to develop themselves or their business more comes to see me. So I try and just emanate out what I do. And I think those who would be attracted to me and my way of working find me. Um, so that's probably what I do. I have websites, obviously, it's herinvitation.com and alan.co.uk, so you can, you can go there and check those out. But you know what? There are lots of people who look at those websites probably and... Um, I think that's really nice, but that's not for me. And then there'll be others who just read every single word clearly by the time they've got to me and they know all about what they want from it and they're filled in the application forms and they're, and they're ready to work with me. So that tends to be how it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a big presence on Facebook. I like Facebook. That's my chosen social media space is Facebook. And one thing, one one other question I wanted to ask you about um, her invitation is, well, it looks, it might not seem like it to you, but it looks quite recent to me. You, you clearly made a decision that you wanted to, um, yeah, empower more women, have a, a greater reach, and therefore yeah. create a facilitator program. How, how did that come about for you? Oh, that came about in 2014 because um, I was being asked to, I had this program that I delivered, a two-day workshop, and I was delivering it in corporates to really empower the women in male-dominated environments. And I was working with, you know, um, Prop John Gamble and some big names, I can't even remember, MasterCard, all sorts of, and um, I got a call from India from a lady whose sister had been on the MasterCard course 
And she said, I want to bring this out to India. How do I get this in India? Because there isn't anything. Can you come and do this in India? And then in the same break, I got somebody else from Poland saying, can you come out to, um, oh, what was it? Which one? Oh, I don't know. There was some company in Poland. Can you deliver this? And then Russia. And I had, a, what, a two-year-old then? Um, and Mark, as you know, is very supportive and he goes around Europe with me with living you know, does all sorts of interesting things with it when I'm talking to people and having meetings or running workshops. But I didn't want to go and take them to Poland and India and Russia. I just, that didn't feel right to me. I didn't want to take myself so far afield with a young child. So, uh, and it just occurred to me that I'd, I'm not the only one who could deliver this stuff. There could be other people who could deliver this stuff. I could teach people. Oh, my God, I could teach people. So I went into the kitchen and said to Mark, I think I might teach that lady from India how to run it. And he's an entrepreneur, as you know. And he said, what, are you going to teach just one person how to run it? And I honestly, I was like, no, obviously not. I was thinking on my feet, thinking that's no. I could train lots of people, couldn't I? And then, oh, my God, I could train lots of people. So, And I knew how to do that because I had trained people to become a coach. So I knew what was involved in terms of, a website for them and handouts and training material and back of house stuff and training videos and I just knew the amount of work involved in setting that up and licensing and getting contracts sorted out and it was rather like having a really cold pool that you think you'd really like to dive into and you know how cold it's going to be but you're willing to do it anyway so I did and I put all that work together and it took me seven months and I put all of that stuff together it was amazing and then I started to train my first group and now I think we're on group five I don't know in February there's um there's one place left <laughs> if they want to join me at the end of February in England in Suffolk and so now they get the program but there's also a very strong entrepreneurial element that underpins that to make sure that they really grow as entrepreneurs and stand in their own power too so I was going to ask you, how can people make contact with you? And you oh, I've already done that. I've already done You've that, already done. Phil. I've been in this game 20 years. I've already done that. <laughs> I want to ask you, so I'll ask you maybe a, a, a different question. You know, so if you were to summarize your life since, yeah, I'm going to make the question even more juicy and, and difficult perhaps. Since Mark did sit sat next to me all those years ago, tapping my iPad, she's the one for me. In a paragraph, 30 seconds, Lynette. What was the first question? How would I summarize How would you summarize your life? Oh, a mad, passionate, awesome roller coaster married to somebody who's incredibly brave and courageous and innovative and half the time I'm holding his hand as he dives into these different things and I'm going, ah! <laughs> going over there now and then I get comfortable and I go, okay, well, we need to make sure this works right so it needs to work for me and it needs to work for you so this is what we're going to do. If you want to play it over here, this is how it's going to work. And he goes, fine, no problem with that. So, and then life will change again, and I'll go, oh, my God, what are we doing now? So it's just life never stands still. But, you know, life stood still for me for quite a long time, and I nearly died. So, 
that's not going to happen again, right? So <laughs> it's a roller coaster, a mad beautiful roller coaster, and I'm with a man who I love and adore. So beautiful. There we go. Yeah, thank you very much, Annette. It's been wonderful <laughs> talking to you, and um, yeah, I'm going to get on a plane soon and come and come and see you guys. Yes, you have to come and see us because you're going to love it. You know, wait till the weather warms up just a bit. But it's, it's beautiful, even I went to five. Thank you very much, Annette. Thank you. I loved this conversation with Annette, particularly how she talked about her real life, what her real coaching life is like, amongst all that chaos and everyday challenges and changes. She mentioned a few times how she and her husband Mark are an amazing team and, and they really are. I encourage you to check out what they're up to in creating a home and running retreats in Mallorca. I also loved hearing and seeing actually just how passionate Lynette is about her work. Um, with women and empowering women i'd love to hear what you've got from this conversation or any of the others and if you are enjoying them please head on over to itunes and leave a brief honest review it will help other people find this podcast and i'm loving creating these for you they're as much for me as they are for you i'm also very excited about some forthcoming guests some of whom i've been trying to get on here for a while and they are now in the schedule very very excited about that so do keep listening and as always i wish you much love and joy.